Good evening. Today we begin Parshas Kitetse. And it's got probably the most and it's Aaron's bar mitzvah portion. Different topics. Yeah. My bar mitzvah portion. Okay, so anybody wants to read, they're more than welcome to read. <laughs> okay, well, a lot of people focus on the first three stories. That first story is about the captive woman. Second story is the firstborn son of the captive woman or the wife you don't love versus the wife you do love has a son. And the third one is the Ben Sorer Umore, uh, the son who was a rebellious son. And then there's many, many more topics afterwards. And what I want to share with you today is a number of different pieces from Rav Moshe Wolfson, who he should live long and prosper, as they say. And he takes a few ideas on different topics, but there's a common theme to all of them. And what we want to establish is what is the common theme of Parshas Kiseitze and why is the, what's its connection to Elul and Rosh Hashanah that's coming up. So we'll start with the more famous idea, and I hope this will be a new idea for you. It was a new idea for me. I'll just quickly review outside the story of the Ben Sorer Mor. Torah tells us if a person has a son who is wayward and rebellious and he does not listen to the voice of his father and to the voice of his mother. And they warn him and he does not listen to them. And the father and mother take hold of him and they bring him to the elders of the city, to the gates of their place. And they tell the elders that this son He's rebellious and wayward. He doesn't listen to our voice. He's a glutton and a drunkard. Okay, so what happens? All the people of the city stone him and he dies and you burn out the evil from your midst and all the Jewish people will hear and they will fear. Okay. So what are the obvious questions that is disturbing anyone who learns this topic that you probably have heard a lot of Torah and there's a lot of answers but let's just discuss the most prominent issue what? whatever happened to Tshuva like okay he doesn't listen to his mother or his father but maybe there's another someone else who could draw him close a rabbi somebody maybe he'll change yeah. Okay. Everyone can change. Everyone deserves. Okay, that is a very good question. So, do you have any answers to that? Have you heard any answers during the course he of your? He doesn't know how to do chua. He doesn't know how to do chua. He doesn't know how to do chua. So how? Well, the exact age. Okay. So let you know, it's only a very short period of time, yeah. from being thirteen till thirteen and a uh-huh. half. That's it. That's the only time this law applies. If he's under 13, nothing happens. If he's more than 13 and a half, nothing happens. Okay. This law does not apply. Okay, it's a very small time frame. Okay, so you were saying what? That he's not... He doesn't know how to do chua. So why don't we teach him? It, in other words, this, this story, the story, right? the brevity... How would he learn to do chua? 
the brevity and the brutality of the text leaves us a little stunned. This doesn't seem to be the Torah that we were taught, that there are ideas of tshuva. And, you know, let's, let's see if we can do some tshuva. It's, it's not like they worked very hard with him and very long with him. Because from the oral understanding, it's not like the guy's been doing this for 15 years. It can't be more than a few months. Why can't they send him away under another environment? That's happening. Why can't they well. send him away? Let him send him to a foster home. Yeah. Let's sell him as a as a Jewish slave. Yeah. Let the new owners teach him a thing or two about discipline. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So, this is a very good question, and let's jump to source two for a minute, and Rashi tells us something very fascinating on the part where it says, and he was warned. Now remember, let's just add a few more details. Rashi says, they warn him in front of three people. They warn him, and they also lash him to teach him a lesson. Like he's done it once, they warn him, they punish him, and he still doesn't learn. And then, uh, and then Rashi tells us, you know, what, not, it's not in the text yet, and how much he has to eat. It's not really a lot of food and how much he has to drink. Okay, we say he has to steal it from his father. But let's take a look at the next part of the Rashi that I did give you. This is, this is Rashi, like, si- almost signing off on the subject. So let's see what he has to say. Uben sorer umore neherag al shem sofo. The Ben Sormar is killed on account of the end. It was the end yeah. In other words, he da'ato. The Torah comes to the end of his thoughts. What's going to be the end of his thoughts? So at the end, he's going to eat up all his father's money. He stole from his father to satisfy his desires. So he's probably going to keep stealing. He's going to steal to the point that he uh, empties out his father's bank account. But he has, he's addicted. Okay, I guess they didn't have drugs in those days. So he's addicted to wine. He's addicted to fine food. It's an addiction, it's an addiction. Okay, so he's going to empty out the father's bank account. And he's going to seek out what he's accustomed to. He's not going to have it. So he'll stand at the crossroads and he will steal from people. So Amra Torah, the Torah says, let him die not guilty and not let him die guilty. In other words, what the simple meaning suggests is that he's really going to do much worse crimes. And could very well be what's going to do. He may even kill somebody. So the Torah looks and figures, what's going to be the end of this guy? The fellow who is a young addict. Okay, the end is he's going to be a a, a juvenile delinquent, a menace to society. So you know what? Let's kill him now while he hasn't done so much damage. So he'll kill, be killed as a rather, you know, not such a guilty person. All he did was steal from his father. I'm sure his father will forgive him. 
And since we can project the future is only going to be terrible, how terrible? Well, we can assume maybe one day he's going to kill somebody, and therefore he is stoned. That's, I'm just translating Rashi, and I'm welcoming all responses, you know, and, and by all means give the responses. They're too obvious to me. Well, okay, fine. <laughs> One second, let's let uh, Chaya first. She's the quietest, so let her get her. But isn't it a person charged, charged at the present time, whatever his behavior now, not assuming for the future? Okay, very good. Do you have a, that's a very good point. Do you know the biblical source to what you're saying? Yishmael. Yishmael, very good. Let's just briefly go back to Yishmael, which was almost uh, nine months ago. Yishmael was starving away in the desert, and he was about to die. He's praying to God that God should save his life. The angels are saying, why do you want to save this kid's life? You know what's going to happen in the future? His descendants are going to be very cruel to the Jews when they go into exile, and they'll do some very... Um, cruel things of when the Jews were leaving Eretz Yisrael when the base mission was destroyed they were like thirsty like crazy and they're passing by the lands of Yishmael they say oh our cousins they'll take care of us and the Yishmael says here sure here have some fish and they give them salty fish they're even more thirsty now can we have something to drink and they would give them flasks of water that they didn't know that were empty and when they tried to drink the water and they don't get anything then many Jews died from a worse form of starvation and these are descendants of Yishmael so I guess like father like descendants so one second so that's the angel says you want to save this creep so Hashem says the five words right now is he a Russia or a Tzaddik well right now he's a Tzaddik he's praying to you he's asking you for his life so we judge him as he is now so that's the biblical source to what Chaya said. So we already have a biblical source says we judge him as he is now. And now comes on the Torah and totally contradicts itself. And we judge him as, as Rash is saying clearly, we judge him as what will eventually be. Very, very difficult Rashi. And Rashi's not coming on his own, he's coming from the Gemara. So he's, he's quoting the Gemara. So it's, it's the Gemara is telling us. And the very same Gemara and other places say this thing about Yishmael. So there seems to be a self-contradiction over here. So this is one of the questions. Can there I was offer a, few, a suggestion uh, on that? What? Can I offer a suggestion on One second. Hold on sure. to the suggestion. I, yeah. I know what you're going to say. That's good what you're going to say, but I want to just <laughs> pick up on some more questions. I already know what I'm going to say. He remembers all my classes, so I know what he's going to say. I'm not sure. Go ahead. Who predicted his future behavior? I mean, was it a dummy? Yeah, the angels, the angels, they know they're beyond time and space. So they're, they're able to know that. Hashem shares with the angels things that humans don't know. You, they're like, angels are like beyond prophecy, so to speak. It's like, just like Hashem is beyond time and space. So the angels live in a realm that's beyond time and space. So they, they could know that. That's not a problem how they know that. But just like Hashem knows that. So that's not a problem. Yeah? Just the extension of the, what Jesus said. So, but this situation never happened, and it will never happen this year, right? So, then how okay, are well, going let's to hold on it? to that. Let's just we're going to come to that. Just, just hold hold your fire on that one. Okay, just just on this idea. Is there any more questions on this idea before we go first? So, when the person, when the boy was born, 
We all have a purpose. And now this is saying he doesn't have any good purpose in him. Just you're going to kill him now. Makes no sense. Okay, makes no sense. And why that? Th- why that half-year period between? Why was he born in the? Well, that w- that the rabbi tells everything goes by the beginning. Yeah. In other words, if a bar if if you're not good when you're a bar mitzvah boy, like that is the the Foundation. best the best. That's the beginning. Usually the beginning is is kind of good, and then you go down. But if you're really really bad in the beginning, then like there's, you've set, the die has been cast, so to speak. The rabbis are saying, uh, uh, uh. So <laughs> Paul is saying, wait a minute, what about Balchuvas? Are we going to now say, let's put it this way, what the Torah is saying, not only is it contradicted by Yishmael, but historical fact in more recent times has shown us that some of the worst people who are even criminals have become true Baal Shuvas and even big rabbis. So this really is very uh, disorientating to, for the Torah and Gemara to say just carp lunch that he's going to be bad so let's just kill him right now. That is the real challenge over here. Okay, Paul, take it away. I'm not sure anybody... Go ahead. Go, well, I don't you don't want, want to say anything? Right you, no, I don't want to disappoint the you rabbi. Can say I'm whatever you want to say. It's Yishmael, open forum. Speaking about Shuvah, Yishmael did Shuvah, so he was... Okay, so that's one answer to the question. That's what the rabbi thought I was going to say? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> he knows you too well. He knows well. you like a book. No, because I know I what he's stop heard. thinking. I know he has a pretty good memory. He doesn't remember everything, but he remembers more than me. So... And this was probably one of the first classes he heard from me way back in the village shul on the high holidays before Rosh Hashanah in one of those stores. Do you remember? The cheese shop? Not the cheese shop, a different one. It was on a high holidays, probably in 1996. I mean, not on the high holidays, but around. On Rosh Hashanah. It was an alternative class. I wasn't at the village shul. Oh, okay, then it was maybe another class at the village shul. There's another call. Either way. Either way. Either way. But the point being that. Yishmael did do tshuva right away. And therefore, since he did do tshuva right away, then that's a reason to, um, to, to let him go, to give him a break. While this child has not done tshuva. So that may deflect the Yishmael question, but it still doesn't deflect the whole idea of don't you give a guy a chance. I mean, he is young, he couldn't be influenced, why are we so sure he's going to be so bad? Well, better way, just to restate what I said before, why was he born in the first place? Okay, why is he born in the first place? In other words, you're right, everyone has to have a purpose. At least give him a chance to achieve the purpose. So that born? if we, we could give a pressed answer, he's born to be the... Um, what do you call it? <laughs> Not the, the example of what we do for people. For example, why was why was Haman born? Why was Haman born? Why was Hitler born? Right. To be the one to be the agent of evil, right. and at the end for us to have a holiday of Purim. That's what we say about Pharaoh, right? He yes, to be the Egyptian, right? So okay, so he's the one. He will serve as the role model. And when a kid misbehaves, they say, "Remember that kid." Remember your friend who went to different yeshiva, you know, and now he's 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 got killed. Watch out! That's what it says exactly, and every Jew will hear and be afraid. So that would be his purpose. Sometimes that could be a purpose, but the the main question is, it just doesn't seem to. If you would be sitting down with a secular Jew and explain this piece of chumash to them, 
it would be very hard to understand. Now, there is a common, we'll say, the Litvisha answer, the Litvisha answer to this that goes together with another story over here, is that there's one idea that is repeated many times in these very few psukim. You don't have the text in front of you, so you wouldn't be noticing it, but I'll just repeat again. If there'll be to a man a son who is rebellious and wayward and does not listen to the voice of his father and to the voice of his mother, and they punish him, and he doesn't listen to them. And they grab him and take him to the elders of the city, and they say, our son does not listen to our voice. How many times has it said he does not listen? Three times. Three times. And therefore, they, uh, many of the commentaries say the reason he is killed is because he doesn't listen. In other words, once you show that you're not interested in listening, then there's no hope. While Yishmael, a different answer for Yishmael, equally as valid, what does Yishmael come from the word Shema, to listen? Okay? And the truth is that although Yishmael was a bad child, we can't blame him so much because Avram was not, and, and Hogar were not exactly the best disciplinarians because Avram was a man of kindness. He found it hard to discipline. And therefore, he never was told not to do these things and therefore he didn't have to listen. While we find later Midrashim, even though he didn't do full tshuva in the story, but later we're told that he did do tshuva because he let Yitzchak go first and bury Avram. So Gomorrah learns that he did tshuva. And there's cases where the Medrash tells us stories about Yishmael later on and he did listen to Avram. So we could say that Yishmael had the capability of listening, he just wasn't disciplined properly. And once he finally got some discipline and he listened, he could listen. And I guess the discipline that Hashem was showing him, look, you're gonna die, okay, I'm gonna do tshuva. And then later on, he also, there's an indication that you, so he's able to listen while this child, three times it says he doesn't listen. So that is the classic answer that's given, and that's why we read the story of Yishmael. On, uh, we read it on Parshas um, Lech Lecha, and, uh, or Vayera, and we also read the story of Yishmael when? First day of Rosh Hashanah. First day of Rosh Hashanah. Why do we read the story of Yishmael? First day of Rosh Hashanah. That Hashem judges us where we are in Rosh Hashanah, and if we're capable of listening, and that's why the brach on the shofar is lishma called shofar, if we can listen to the voice of the shofar, then we have a chance to get a favorable judgment. Mm. So that's the litvishup shot that I've said many times over the years, that what the Torah is saying is, if a child is just not capable of listening, it's not that he can't improve, but he's cut himself off from the ability to be changed. And therefore, if you see the fellow is not the kind of kid who will listen, he will ultimately do the worst thing. So let's stop it now before. Again, that is uh, satisfying from a Litvish approach. But again, it seems to say, just because he doesn't listen now, can we be so sure he'll never listen again? Yeah. Now, we do have cases, even, uh, uh, who do we got? Menashe, the wicked Menashe, Achav, they had times where they listened, 
So, you know, there are wicked people who aren't capable of listening. So are we playing like a statistics game over here? Well, the law of averages is that most people who don't listen will turn out bad. So the law of averages is we kill them because we're doing him a favor. At the end of the day, even let's agree and say, okay, he doesn't listen. So just because he doesn't listen to his parents doesn't mean he's not going to listen to anybody else. Mm-hmm. We have many cases where we have dynamic rabbis or dynamic, uh, what do you call it, uh, social uh, service people who, even though the parents can't reach him and the school can't reach him, but this person can reach him. Yeah. And there's, we have countless cases where there's no hope and this person did wonders with him. Yeah. So don't you think the Torah knows about those cases? So what are we saying? Well, but the odds are, Torahs usually work with odds are. It's usually, you know, when we do justice, it's not with odds are. It's like, okay, we saw someone kill someone, we warned them, he did it anyway, so we killed them. Okay, but here, what's the worst? He's stolen, okay, he's a bad, he's a bad dude, okay. He doesn't listen, okay. And maybe he'll kill, maybe, but let, let's do a lot of intervention. Why aren't we doing any intervention over here? Where, where's, isn't that missing? Because actions aren't and, death and penalty. And yes, and, 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 and what kind of death penalty does he get? Stoning. Of the four death penalties, the worst is stoning. And there's that, the rabbis ask a question on that. So, okay, what did we say? Well, listen, if he doesn't have the money for what he needs, he may end up killing someone. What's the punishment if you kill, murder someone? Which death penalty do you get? Decapitation, which is a less stringent punishment. In other words, when you uh, are Mechal Shabbos and you get stoned, if you kill, if you uh, blaspheme God and you get stoned, those are, stoning is the worst of the punishments. And, I mean, none of them is a picnic. Uh, It's a capital punishment. But beheading is a less severe, it's a less severe crime. So the question now is asked, so okay, you're gonna let's even say there's no hope he's gonna kill somebody. But when he kills somebody, the punishment will be decapitation. It will not be stoning. Yet we give him the worst of the punishment, stoning. So the rabbis, uh, you know, they're trying to figure an answer. They get a very pressed answer, and they say, "Well, maybe he will kill someone on Shabbos. Oh. And when you kill someone on Shabbos, then you desecrated the Shabbos, and then you get stoned, which is not uh, that's a, that's a pressed that's answer." But it's also a difficult one to understand. Good yes? Question. Does this have any link to the previous Parsha Shafim, or did we just appointed judges and a judicial system? Is there any link to how there might be a new way of authority within the Jewish system? Well, there to... obviously is a judicial system, but why will that warrant that we can kill the child? So there's a system. So he's bucking the system, right? So again, is he any worse than a Jew who no, is he worse than a Jew who steals from someone, doesn't have the money to pay back, and we sell him as an Evid Ivory? Wouldn't that make that. the most sense to sell him yeah. as an Evid Ivory? Because this guy, we have a guy who already stole. This kid is only stole from his parents. He hasn't stole from others. Send him to a Levite city where he can learn. Send him to a Levite city where he could learn. Whatever. So why why are we just killing him? Doesn't listen to his parents. That is the challenge. Okay, I think we've uh, developed this question satisfactorily, suggested certain answers, and they're not totally satisfying. Let's leave it at that.
So now let's go to another part. Let's go without a source number one. The Talmud is going to fill in some very interesting cases, and somebody mentioned one of those ideas. The Talmud in Sanhedrin says, is a, the, the more there asks, in accordance with whose opinion is that which is taught in a Bryce? A Bryce is like an early Talmudic source. Says, quote, there has never been a stubborn and rebellious son, and there never will be one in the future. Right, right. To which the Torah say, never happened. Never will. And never will. It never happened. There never was, in the cases of Jewish law, a, a, a rebellious son. It never happened. And, and it never will be. And will never happen. Yeah. That's what it says. Now, why? As it is impossible to fulfill all the requirements that must be met in order to apply this halacha. And why then was the passage relating to a stubborn and rebellious son written in the Torah then, if we know it never happened? So the Kamora answers, so that you may expound upon new understandings of the Torah and receive reward for your learning. Dorish Kibbal Schar. Okay, meaning the implication is, more doesn't say this, but the fine print says that that means that uh, it's impossible to fulfill all the requirements that must be met in order to apply this halacha. It's an aspect, it's only a theoretical law. It's a theoretical law. So you know what, even theory is a beautiful thing. In, to know what Hashem's theories are. Now why is it? Well, it's according to the opinion of Rabbi Yehuda. And what's one of the requirements? It says he doesn't listen to the voice of his father and the voice of his mother. To which Yehuda says, they have to have the same voice. In other words, if he has a, a deep voice, then the mother has to have a deep voice. And if the mother has a high-pitched voice, then the father has to have a high-pitched voice. And that is usually not going to happen. No, they really wouldn't and therefore, you're never able to do this. It's never going to happen. And they give all kinds of other examples. The Talmud goes through a number of requirements. There's so many requirements that the kid has to leap over or accomplish that it's like impossible for this to happen. So it is like Rabbi Yehuda. It's virtually impossible. That is one point. Then Gomorrah continues by the point, dot. If you wish, say instead that the bride is in accordance with the opinion of Rabbi Shimon. As it's taught in a bride, Rabbi Shimon says... And is it simply due to the fact that the boy ate, this is on a measurement, a tartamir of meat, so it's a piece of meat, uh, a measurement, and drank a half a log of Italian wine, that his father and mother shall take him out to stone him? They ask it, because that's all it really takes. Rather, there has never been a stubborn and rebellious son, there will be one in the future. And why then was the passage relating to a stubborn and rebellious son with the Torah? So you may expound upon the new understandings of the Torah and receive reward for your learning. Okay, so the Gemara is quoting two sources that are saying clearly, yeah, it's not possible for it to happen, and it never did happen. So, the uh, that's the statement that's being made over there. So now, the first question on, let's remember, God looked into the Torah and created the world. So whatever God wrote in the Torah could not be theoretical. You know, for example, uh, the Torah speaks about the prohibition, a lot of issues of immorality. And uh, because they all can happen. 
as, 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 as strange it is, bestiality and such, they all can happen. And Torah writes, you, you can't do these things. So if the Torah was written as a blueprint for the world, so God writes a section of the Torah, means it has to have application. It can't be a theoretical idea, because theoretical ideas that don't happen have no place in the Torah. That's question number one. And uh, the next question is, let's go to finish up this Gemara, because there's still one more important sentence to go on. Right at the end of source one, Rabbi Yonason says, now the Gemara adds, this is not so, as I saw one. What does that mean? I was once in a place where a stubborn and rebellious son was condemned to death, and I even sat on his grave after he was executed. Okay, by sitting on his grave. So, what's the obvious question? Wait a minute. He just had a rabbi said it never happened. And now he said it happened. So what's going on over here? I mean, it, it's either one or the other. Either it never happened. So what, one rabbi say, never happened. I said, I sat on his grave. What are you talking about? So, like, if you have an argument, you know, if you do this, you know, the law is this. I don't want to say the law is that. You can argue about what the law should be. But to argue about a historical fact or not, this rabbi said, I sat at his grave. So if he sat at his grave, he must have known that what he was talking about. He wasn't, like, mistaken. The Talmud doesn't give us a guy who made mistakes. So, obviously, this Rabbi Yehuda, I'm sorry, this Rabbi Yonason said, I was once in a grave of a rebellious son. So, therefore, has to be. That thing more said, it, it doesn't. That's how we're going to understand it. And finally, the last question that has to be asked, what in the world is Rabbi Yonason doing sitting at such a grave? There was no better place for him to sit than at the son of a, a Ben Sur or Mora. That's where he's going. And, uh, and, okay, so these are very challenging questions. Okay, aside from the initial question of, you know, it doesn't seem right that we kill the fellow, you know, uh, and just to and just to say and to say it never happened. The whole Gemara doesn't make any sense. Would, would Rabbi Yonason be after what Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Shimon? It, it would, it, it, that's it's immaterial. I'm be, just saying. Then he because want there's to make, no point. In, then the Gemara wouldn't have brought the first statement. I'm just saying. In other words, would, that's Gemara, why he would sit there because he wants to make a point. Okay, so then so then it did happen. Right. So why write the opinion that is, even if one came before the other? Yeah. Still, the um, the editors of the Talmud, knowing all those statements, would just have not dropped the whole Gemara out. If indeed he sat at, at his grave, right, then that's the end. We don't need this whole Gemara. Just say, don't say anything. Yeah, yeah. So obviously, there's much more to be. Rabbi Yonason know this person? I mean, must have. Yes, must be. Could have been a relative of his. Whoever. The famous, the famous Ben Sora he, he knew. I mean, he wouldn't lie. And he wouldn't, and if he's mistaken, you know, they don't make mistakes. It's too important to, not, to make a mistake. So how do we deal with this? So now we're going to share with you some beautiful ideas from Rav Moshe Wolfson. It's the first time I've seen uh, this interpretation. And it's an amazing thing. So we're going to look at the one in Borough Park? Is that the, what? The, the one in Borough Park. Park. Yeah, the one we stayed in many years ago. So it's source number three, and it's in Hebrew. And just for this paragraph, I'd like to read it inside because it's very 
significant. There's a lot more that he has, but this is the kernel of the piece. And uh, I'll read the Hebrew and you'll just uh, follow along or listen. So he says, so he, he asks this, uh, all these questions. He says like this, every Jewish soul, is a portion of God on high. There's no reality to rule on a Jewish person that he has no hope. And we're not allowed and we cannot say he has no possibility to return into Jewish. There's no such a thing. As we see in our days. Ella. We see those that have sunken into the 50th level of impurity. They do tshuva. And they go to the highest places. From the depths they were in, we see people going to the highest places. I mean, take a look at Uri Zohar, for example, who was a, a real prost comedian, secular Israeli comedian. And he became a complete rabbi, like Mamish, and he would teach Torah to people. Just one example. Vim Cain, Lo Shaykh Laharad Ben Sora it doesn't make sense to kill the Ben Sora for the logic of let him die innocent and not guilty. You can't ascertain with certainty. That you're going to say that he'll never be able to extricate himself from the fangs of the forces of the other side. You could say that with certainty. And that the Yalaba Madrega said, and he's not going to go to levels of tshuva. Do we say about tshuva can reach places that a tzaddik gummer can't? But Gemara says about tshuva can reach places that a tzaddik gummer can't. So what does that mean? Right. It's a guy's done of Eros. And he can rise to levels that what about Shuvah of Tzadik can't be. Right. V'zeh ha Oh, so this is what the Gemara means. Sheben Sarah Mar lo'hoya v'lo'osid lios. A Ben Sarah never happened and will never happen. Meaning to say a court never ruled this way. No matter how bad the boy was, they never killed a Ben Sarah because it's not possible to proceed with such a logic that a person cannot do tshuva. Therefore, you can't kill him. So Wait a minute. Yeah. If you can't kill him, so what's the Torah telling us over here? What did Robert so let, say? So let's keep going. Yeah, there's one possibility. Listen. What? Therefore, the Torah established, even though the text doesn't say it, obviously, but the Gemara deduces every clause and everything. Like we said, the father and mother have to have the same voice. There's many of these things that are. And therefore, the Torah gave conditions of a Bem Torah more. For example, they have to say the same voice. The Torah is implicit. When it says the law, the way the words are written, it's written in a way that it's not possible to follow through on it. So that the realities are not able to kill it. In other words, built into the text, if we, if we would read the text with all the Talmudic explanations. But we just gave one example. He doesn't live, his mother and father have the same 
type of voice, which can't happen. And there's about another seven or eight of these types of conditions that is like almost impossible to happen. Okay, so the Torah is really telling you, once the Gemara explains for you, that, well, we kill him, but we don't kill him. We can't, hold on. The Hatam, and what's the reason? So the Torah is kind of saying, yeah, in theory, we could kill him, but we'll never kill him. And the reason is, it's impossible for a Jewish soul to sink to a point where there is no hope. So now, the obvious question is, so why write about it? To give everybody hope. Ella, oh, oh, very, very good. Nice. Therefore, we write in the Torah. So any one of us who is reading this parsha in the month of Elul, and now we're looking at making a cheshman on Ephesh on ourselves, and the Yitzhahara, you know, wants us to, wants to subvert us, and to say, you know, there's no way I can do tshuva. This is not the first elul I've had. I've had many elul's. As a matter of fact, I think every year I'm getting worse and I'm not getting better. And therefore, there's really no hope for me. So therefore, we read this parsha so everyone can strengthen himself. Mehoda chasinim from that which we see. Shaf also ben Saramora, even this type of a boy. Lefihanira that would appear ain lo tikva. Yes, no hope. And really would make sense for Roy Lahamiso. So we should kill him. So he should not die guilty. Still in all. On a home we say, it never happened. He never got killed. Why? You cannot say such a thing about a Jewish soul. There's no such thing as a Jewish soul that has no hope. And we kill him because we say he has no hope. There is no such a thing. So in other words, it makes the law, it writes the law, and writes implicit within the law that it'll never happen. So why am I reading it? Because every one of us has a little feeling of being on a shtickle ben mora, and I have no hope. And I'll never be able to do tshuva. He says, listen, you're not as bad as the ben mora, and the Torah is telling us we've never killed one yet. Okay? This will strengthen a person that whenever, whatever situation he finds himself in, he always will have hope that he can ascend to his Father in Heaven's lap. And that's what the Gemara asks. So why was it written, Dorosh, seek it out, and get a reward? What does that mean now? It means to teach us that a person should seek out Hashem. Dorosh is not just an interpretation, it's to seek out. Seek out and receive a reward. Okay? And that's what, for example, says, Dirshu Hashem v'uzo, bikshu panav to me. Bikshu can mean um, to, Dorosh um, uh, can mean to um, extol what a an interpretation is, but it also means to seek out Hashem. So do teshuva and don't give up. Seek Hashem, going to the next page, and seek his face and receive a reward. And the parsha of Ben Sorer is read for each Jew and screams out that Ben Sorer never happened, never will happen, and all of us have the ability to do teshuva. Okay. That's the kernel of it, but now there's a lot of 
loose ends that still have to get fixed up. We haven't answered everything. We've answered some of the questions. Okay, but we still have to answer. But wait a minute. It does say, it says now, so it says what happens, and everybody stones him. So what does that mean? Well, we understand that this Ben Saramara, as we'll see, generally, if you know the way the Gomorrah uh, puts the three stories together, one is you take the Afas Tar, you take the captive woman, right? And Tar says, really, you shouldn't marry her, but if you do, it ain't gonna be good. Right, next story, you have a woman you love, a woman you hate, and the firstborn is the one from whom you hate. So it means you're gonna have a child from this union, and he's gonna be a bad apple. Right. And now this child is the bad apple. So what does this uh, child have, so to speak? So we say that he has, we've said many times, the word, he, he's caught in the klipas. Klipas are the shells, right? How do we explain a klipa? that there's a reality of something good, the shell covers it up, and you make a mistake, just like a banana. You think the peel is the good part, but it's really not, it's concealing the real banana. So too, there's God's spirituality in everything, and then the forces of evil cloak it, the external part, to get you to go after the physical part and to disregard the spiritual part. So that's what's going on with this, with this child. This child has definitely, he's the product of it's a woman you should never have married, and therefore he has been given a natural inclination for sin. And so if we'll have time, we'll get more into this Yafas Torah. But, uh, but that was the, the problem over here. So therefore the Pusik says, when it says stone him, it can have multiple meanings because the, it's very interesting. The Hebrew alphabet, the letters of the Torah in our prayers, are called stones, as it is in the Sefer Yitzira. Why? Because the letters of the Torah, as I've said many times, are the, is the periodical table of spirituality. And they're the building blocks of reality. So they really are like stones. The letters of the Torah and the prayers are like stones. And what is the best way, if you got a klipa, in other words, the klipa is you, you focus on the externals and you live in the world of the klipa. In other words, the world is showing, yeah, there's a, a simple pleasure, whatever the pleasure is, the pleasure is the pleasure of eating. How is a person, how's a Jew supposed to look at the pleasure of eating? It is really what? It's Hashem giving you a hug. That's what it is. That wonderful food that you're eating, that coffee and tea that you're drinking, that snickerdoodle. What is it? It's the will of HaKadosh Baruch Hu who's saying that he loves you. That's the essence of it. But what is it? Fancy wrapping, yummy taste, advertising, and says it's a taste that has nothing to do with God. That's the klipa. That's the shell. And therefore, there's all kinds of shells. And the shells um, intrude into the way we look at things. We could look at um, men, and instead of saying they're half of the Tzalim Lakim, they say, oh, he's a man that protects the woman and supports her. I'm going old fashioned. Yeah. You could look at a woman, and instead of saying she's the mother of the Jewish people and represents the Shechina, I have her for being attractive and to being a cook. So you're taking a woman or a man and looking at the klipa, but not looking who they really are. So that's a problem. When you're looking at the klipa, that distorts your reality. It, it gives characteristics of things that don't exist, and it takes Hashem away from this. What is the way to destroy klipas? 
Torah. When you learn the Torah for the sake of learning the Torah, it tells you what the truth is. Just like a little light takes away the darkness, that's what the Torah does. And not just regular Torah, but Torah that you work diligently and put a lot of effort in understanding. A Torah that you sweat over. That's the Torah that breaks the klipas. As you remember in Parsha's Chukas, when the Torah says, Zos Chukas HaTorah, Adam Kiyomus Ba'ohel. We start the story of the Paraduma. It says, this is the statutes of the Torah. If a person dies in his tent and you come in contact to him, you become Tomei, etc., etc., etc. But what did the Medrash say? Zos Chukas HaTorah, the, uh, the um, deeper understanding, this is the rule of Torah. Why did it say Zos Chukas HaTorah? Because it says Zos Chukas HaPorah. This is the law of the Paradum. Why say this is the law of the Torah? It's saying the law of the Torah is you have to kill yourself for Torah. When you want to learn Torah, you have to literally, not literally, but nearly kill yourself. That means you wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning to be able to learn Torah. The Torah is not easy. You work hard. You try to understand it. You have questions on it. You have to literally kill yourself for Torah. And that's how you will succeed in the study of Torah. That's the way Torah works. The famous example that the Chavetz Chaim gives, uh, a moshal, to a man who uh, was getting older in life. He was a businessman. He was a nice Jew, but not a scholar. And as he's getting older, he decided, you know, I'm going to die soon, so I better prepare food for the way. Hmm. So he decides to start going to shul. Daven a minion. At least the last few years of my life, I should have a minion. Okay, fine. So he... And then he decides, you know, I think I'm going to stay and study for a little bit for 15 minutes. And 15 minutes comes half an hour, comes an hour, comes two hours, comes three hours, and now he doesn't get to the store until 12 o'clock. Now, what's the problem? He's the owner of the store. He opens up, customers come at 9 o'clock, he's not there. He's not at the store. What do they do? They go to the, his house, he's not there. They go to the wife and says, what's going on? I don't know. He's studying in the, in the shul. So the wife says, listen, this is not good. The customers are waiting. It's not menschlich. What, 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 you you got to go. You got to open up. So he said, but I want to learn. Yeah, but you have to be a man. So they go to the rabbi. Go to the rabbi, and the rabbi says to the wife like this, let me ask you a question. What if tomorrow morning your husband leaves the door and he meets the malacham office, the angel of death? An angel of death is about to take your husband. Are you going to argue with him and say there's customers there and you can't take the husband? You can't argue that. So guess what? Pretend that the Malchamov is token. But don't feel bad. At 12 o'clock he'll be reborn. He'll be ready to open up the store. That's the idea. When a person, if you want to succeed in studying Torah, you have to be dead to the world. When you're learning Torah, it's not that a cell phone is over here and as soon as it rings, I stop learning Torah. You're learning Torah, you're learning Torah. You're focused and there's nothing else you're doing at this point in time. Unless it's an emergency, God forbid. You know, We're not talking about that. 99% of the time, it's not emergencies. But when you're learning Torah, you're learning Torah. You're not doing anything else. And therefore, to the point that you're even going to kill yourself. Not kill yourself, literally die from it. But you're going to kill the physical pleasures. It means you want to learn, and no, I'd like to have a smoke. No, no breaks. You learn, and then when it's time for lunch, it's time for lunch. That's it. So it's very interesting. So what breaks the klipas? This is the point. 
the challenge in life is that we live in a world that we are, you know, it's, it's we call it called klipa change. Okay, there's these klipas that are all over us. And that's worse than climate change. Okay, klipa change is a spiritual climate that makes God's word impregnable to not get through to you. If, for example, what's one of the biggest klipas in the world? One of the biggest klipas in the world is that your effort is the source of your parnasal. That is one of the biggest klipas. What's the truth? Hashem is the source of your parnasa. Period. Ah, you're doing the action? That's the curse that Hashem gave. But the fact you're doing the actions, and it's a darn good klipa, because it really looks like your efforts make a difference. But not so. Now, if you are covered by that klipa, that klipa is going to dictate your behaviors. And as much as you're a good Jew, you're still listening to that klipa, and you can't skip through that klipa. So only one thing that destroys klipas, and that is immersing oneself to the word of Torah. So if it's a man, it means you break your head on understanding the Torah, or if you're a man and a woman, you break your weltenschank to follow what the Torah says, even though it seems inimical for your uh, life. That's what it means to literally kill yourself. And therefore, um, when you have, when you're studying Torah, unless you're studying Torah and you have a question, okay? Let, we started the class, so I like to start a class. We started with a question. And the question was annoying for everybody. How come we're killing this kid right away? That's annoying. You know what that question is? It's a klipa. It's a klipa. And why, what did we do? What, what have we done in the last 45 minutes? We broke the klipa. You see, we broke the klipa. That is a, the Torah itself can be klipatized, chas v'shalom. So how do we break through it? By studying hard and breaking through the klipa. And that destroys, so studying Torah is the best way of breaking klipas. Or let's say you, uh, you make a lot of effort to have kavona in davening, to focus your mind. You, you, you're, you, before you're, you're rushing to mincha, your mind is on a million things. It's your, whatever business deals you were doing, whatever clients you saw at work, whatever shopping you were doing, whatever sales, whatever shidduchim, it's a million and one things you're doing. And not, not, they're not necessarily bad. But one thing's for sure. When you got to talk to God, those klipas, even if they're good klipas, they got to be shattered. When you're talking to God, there's only one thing that matters. You and God. Finished. The whole world can be destroyed, but you are talking to God. You're in another world. So even if it's good things, I'm not, you're, you're thinking about the Gemara you learned. Okay? What can be better than that? But even that's a klipa if you're supposed to be davening. Supposed to be davening? So therefore, those who really focus on breaking through to understand uh, concepts in Torah, to break through, and when you're praying, to pray slowly, deliberately, focus, that all breaks klipas. And as the Torah says, now you begin to see what's happening now. The Torah is saying, so what, what do you do with the Ben Sarimor who doesn't listen? You have everybody throw stones at him. Mean to say we throw the Torah at him. We throw the stones of Torah at him. You can, he can't learn Torah by himself. He needs people to teach him Torah. Now think about this for a minute. Okay, this is not the simple meaning. Again, there's simple meaning. Remember, there's four levels. The simple meaning is how we described it. 
But even in the simple meaning, Torah says, but the simple meaning can't be. Right? Once you've learned the Gemara, the Gemara says, it's not possible to convict him ever. So I know the simple meaning is we stone him, but since it never happens, why do we have to discuss this at all? The answer is, because it will happen. There will be many Ben Sora Morers, and we have to kill him, but we don't kill him physically. We kill him spiritually. We take this, this recalcitrant boy, and you sit him down in a Balchuva Yeshiva, or with somebody who can relate to him, and start learning some Torah with him. And expose him to ideas that he says, wait, but this doesn't make sense. And then you go through it and you explain it to him and you're pelting him with the stones of Torah or you're teaching him how to daven with kavana. And then what's the point it says? Let's go back over here. It says he's stoned and he dies. What does it mean he dies? The Yetzirah dies. Hmm. And you burnt out the evil from your midst. The evil. Why is this not an interesting expression? Just say we kill him. The Torah says again, you you stone him and he dies. Now why do we add, and you burn out the evil from your midst? I mean, obviously, aren't we burning out the evil from our midst? The answer is, well, you know, he, he, he dies because of the Torah that he learns, so to speak, the Russia that he is. You, you take this Ben Sorer Umore, and we kill the Ben Sorer Umore of our child. The child has a certain personality. He's not only our child, but he is rebellious and wayward. And that's defining who he is. So we want to kill the rebelliousness. We want to kill the waywardness. How do we kill it? We stone him. We stone him with what? With the building blocks of Torah. And we stone him, literally pelting him with information that he cannot be denying this. And then what do we kill that part of that clepatized Ben Sorimora? And we burn out the evil. And now that we know this, you know why that's all about. In other words, what we're doing is we're saying, we're not going to kill him. We're going to take him to a Balchuva Yeshiva. And he's going to turn out good. And then he comes back to the community 15 years later. He's a big rabbi. And what does that do? And all the Jews will listen and be afraid. They'll all understand. Viro doesn't mean to be afraid, but to see the reality that it's there just to tell us to do tshuva. Okay? So now this becomes a very beautiful understanding over here. So now, what was our original question? How do we kill somebody for something they're going to do in the future? The answer is, yes, in theory, that is so. In theory. And in theory, a person doesn't listen is one we cannot help. But the Torah is telling you already, but it isn't ever going to happen. Why? Because what you're going to do is you're going to pelt him with Torah. You're going to have him die for Torah. And you're going to have everybody involved in it. And you're going to work on him. That's exactly what we're going to do. And you're going to see that he's going to turn out okay. And people will learn from this. Now, the question now is, so did it happen or didn't it happen? So what's the answer now? No, I mean, was it so that a Bensor Mora came and actually killed somebody? Or we killed him as a... Killed him. Mamish killed him. 
Wait, oh, so wait, so we said it didn't happen, right? Worse, it didn't happen. So he's, yeah, it didn't feel Yeah, but what about the rabbi said I was at his grave? Right, exactly. Oh, we still have to answer that. So now he goes on and says a very interesting thing. He uh, tells a story. Reb Chaim Vital once entered into the room of the Ari HaKadosh. And the Ari HaKadosh got up for him. And that's funny, the Ari was his Rebbe, so what does the Rebbe give up for the student? So, so he says, Rebbe, I'm very embarrassed. Like, why did you get up for me? I didn't give up for you. I got up for the soul of Binayahu ben Yehoyada. And those of you who learned the Nachnomi will remember he was one of the big um, advisors and leaders in King David's uh, cabinet. It's a big tzaddik. Binayahu ben Yehoyada. And he says, uh, what are you talking about? He says, well, what did you do today? So it turns out what this uh, Rav Chaim Vital was doing, he was reviewing some, some very holy esoteric teachings of the Yerizal when he was sitting at the grave in Tzvat, if you go to Tzvat, the grave of Binayahu ben Yehoyada. But he didn't know he was over the grave of Binayahu ben Yehoyada. What do I mean? Well, now that you go to Eretz Yisrael and it's been more developed, a lot of the graves have been marked and we know exactly who is where. Yeah. And you can find the grave of Binayahu ben Yehoyada. But in the 1500s, it was just a pile of rubble. Yeah. Right? This is before the Arizal died, before the Pes Yosef died, before the graves were there. But there were holy people there. So this Reb Chaim, the Reb Chaim Vital didn't realize that when he was studying these mystical things, he was sitting over the gravesite of the Neyahu ben Yehoyada. And since he was learning with holiness, what happens is a big mystical idea over here. There's a concept of Iber Neshama, which means you get an impregnated soul. Meaning to say, when you go to a tzaddik's kever and you really study his Torah, or you really get connected, part of the deceased soul merges with yours for a certain time. And that's when, if you really are studying sincerely, if you're studying, this is beyond my pay grade, but if you're studying, for example, Derech Hashem with the deepest concentration, then Rab Moshe Chaim Lutzato's neshama, so to speak, melds with yours. And you reach up, get a very high yeah, level of spirituality. Just by learning the, the right, it's, it's not, his soul, which souls are very versatile, they're not stuck to one place. Right. It just, it's weird in the, in the, in the, it just in right. mixes in, so to speak, right? So, uh, and, and uh, that helps for you to reach higher levels. And therefore, uh, that's what happened to the Ariza, that Rav Chaim Vital. So he got up for it because he was in with him. So this is a common, not for us, but in Svas, with the great mystics, you should know there is this concept. So therefore we can understand, Rabbi son said, I sat at his grave. He's not arguing with the first opinion said it never happened. He's coming to give support to what he said. And what does it mean? I was standing on his grave, meaning a, a, a Ben Sormer's grave, that what? That when he was young, he was a very bad child. Everybody gave up hope on him. They thought he'd never be good. And at the end, he did tshuva until he became a big chacham gadol and a tzaddik to the point that now I have reached high levels of Torah that I've been studying 
near his grave, so to speak, and I've achieved high levels of his soul melding with mine. And that's why he's saying, I sat at the kever of this Ben Sarmar, who really was a tzaddik, who helped me reach the highest levels I can be. And therefore, he's not arguing on the words of the first rabbi. He's saying that's exactly what the first rabbi said. So let's recap. What the Gemara is saying is that it never happened that we executed a Ben Sarmar. We never did. Why? Because we can't. And since we can't, so what's left? We've got to try our best. And because we can't kill them, we may not succeed in every situation. You're right. But we can never say there's no hope for a child. And therefore comes Rabbi Yonah's son and says, and I want to prove it to you, because I sat next to Kever of a person who was a Ben Sarmar, became a Balchuva, became a big, big rabbi, and I melded spiritually with him that I became such a big tzaddik because I learned that that grave of that very same person. So that's exactly the point that we're saying over here. So, fascinating. So there's still one more question has to get answered. You figured I answered everything, but it's the one thing that hasn't been answered. What hasn't been answered? Maybe this isn't a question, but maybe it's a translation, but it says after he was executed, the Rabbi Yonasan's story. Where? That's not the Gemara. That's the, like, the English commentary. Even though it's in bold. I said this is not so. I understand that's commentary. Uh, I even sat on his grave after he was executed. I, I have to show you the Gomorrah's words. It, it doesn't necessarily mean it. Okay. It's, it's said that, that he was there by Ben Sarumar. The implication is... Okay, but it's not... I, it's a translation from the English translation. But, yeah. But there's still... i got to answer this. Make sure I get this in. But still, what is... The, we're still one more problem here. The wording of Rashi. We gotta go back to the Rashi in source two. If I don't answer this, I'm still in trouble. Let's go back. What did Rashi say? The Ben Sarmar is killed for what the end will be. At the end, what's gonna happen? He's gonna go and kill people and this and that and all those other things. Okay. Well, that would be a possibility. But look at the ending of the Rashi. Umra Torah says the Torah, Yamus Zakai, let him die. Zakai, innocent. Really, Zakai means um, like totally innocent of crimes. Va'al yamus and don't let him die uh, guilty of them. So let's try to understand this. So what are we exactly doing? We're going to kill him now? Isn't he guilty of stealing from his father? Isn't he a Russia anyway? He's not yet guilty of capital crimes. Well, yeah, but so what's it really? Why is it saying this? So Torah is saying, you know what the Torah is saying? Yomus Zakai. We want this child to die as an innocent child. We have to find a way to not give up hope on him. So the day he dies, 50, 60 years from now, he'll die as a Zakai. He will be that innocent child. He will die as an innocent person. And he should not die, Chayev. Chayev means that he's guilty. In other words, let's put it this way. What's worse, the sins that you do or the mitos that you have? What's better or worse? Is it good you have good mitos and you do good mitzvahs or you have bad mitos and you do bad mitzvahs? In other words, when you're doing tshuva, what are we, what's the primary aspect of tshuva? On the act or on the character flaw? The character flaw. So now, let's say a person, let's say a person doesn't sin, but he's got terrible character flaws. 
like his mind takes him to places he shouldn't be going to. And he wishes he could do a lot of affairs. He just doesn't have the wherewithal. He's got a dirty, filthy mind, but he never did anything. <laughs> In Shemaim, how are they going to judge this guy? Well, you didn't do technically anything bad, but poor, you, you were dreaming all kinds of disgusting things. So he said, we want this, this child to die righteous, zakai, meritorious. Zakai isn't just innocent. The Hebrew, again, it's, the English is misleading. Zakai is a positive. Innocent, when we talk about a court of law, innocent means you're not guilty. English, not so good. Zakai means meritorious. So how can this kid be meritorious? He stole from the house. You're going to call him meritorious? Yes. And that's what it's saying. We want him to die meritorious. We don't want him to die guilty. Because if we kill him now, even though maybe he hasn't killed anybody yet, but he's a guilty, terrible, meatless child. We don't want him to die that way. If anything, it's the opposite. Right. We see that he could do this. His future is to do all these things. So what do we have to do? We have to stone him with Torah. Stone him with questions. Stone him with questions of trying to, why are you behaving the way you're behaving? What, what do you get out of stealing from, what do you get out of being addicted to food and drugs and, and alcohol? This? Explain to me. We pelt him with questions. And we sit down and we learn Torah. And we try to beat the cleep out of him. And when we beat the cleep out of him, he will die meritorious. But if we just kill him now, that would not be called killed meritorious. It's killed because we got nothing else to do with this guy. That's the depth of what Rashi's adding here to say that he dies in a meritorious way and that's the hope that we have from him. Rashi also adds, the parents aren't going to do it. If any parents are going to bring their child up knowing what's going to be the result, then other people have to help, but they have to stone him from someone else because the parent's not going to do it. The so parent? Rashi's statements. The parents bring a child that's rebellious to the, a result that's going to be bad, you know, from the superficial reading. So any parent would do that is not going to teach a child Torah. You need a society has to come and tell them. Or maybe he'll take him to others that will learn. Exactly. That's, that's what, what it says. He goes to the Shari row. Exactly. It's usually the Zikanim, the elders. The you take him to the it. people who will teach him how to study Torah properly. That's why it would never happen. Any parent would bring their children between three right. and three and a half to get pelted with stones in real life. That's not a good parent. Right. It never <laughs> happened. We never killed them. And exactly. what happened? And often the Ben Sora Got killed. The, e- the Ben Sora or Mora got killed, yeah. but the oh, child right. didn't get killed. Right. Mm. That's the same thing when the Gemara says about Acher, Elisha ben Avuya. He went off the path, yeah. and his Rebbe, a student, Rameir, wanted to bring him back. He says, "I can't come back. I already heard a voice from heaven, and it said everyone can do tshuva except for Acher, the other one. So if I can't do tshuva, I can't do tshuva. So what was his mistake?" The, the voice said, Acher can't do tshuva, but Elisha ben Avuya can do tshuva. If you want to be this other character, yeah, that other character can't do tshuva. Elisha ben Avuya can do tshuva. So, the ben, so, so really what happens, and this is a very important idea with juveniles and the adults who never grow up, hmm. is that juveniles like to assume um, identities that are not their own. Well, is that relevant today? Right? So now, for whatever reasons, he thinks he's a Ben Sarmor. Smash and grab. Smash and grab. Don't we have a world full of Ben Sarmors? 
Mm -hmm. Why do we have a world full of insert murders? You know why? Because they took God out of the classroom. Even the Goyim have a, have a bit of Torah. They have the Goyish Torah. The Torah for the seven Ochai laws is still a stoning, so to speak. And what do you see? You just let them ca grab cash. And that's it. No jail, no, pri no, no police, no nothing. So what happens? So now, so now what do other young people see? Well, that's what I'm going to be. That's going to be. So what do the parents really want? I want to kill the Bensara Morer. And, and we take the Bensara Morer and we, we stone him with Torah with, and with overwhelm. And, and the stoning like weighs him down. Like he can't, you can't move. And how do you start by stoning? First you throw him off a cliff. So, so to speak, now, what is it, what's the symbolism of throwing off a cliff? When you're standing next to the cliff, you're on terra firma. I'm pretty sure what I'm doing. Yeah? Boom, off you go. We take away his sure-footedness. And then we stone him with all kinds of questions. So how do you explain this? And, if, and behaving this way, how's that going to turn out the end? Because people are going to stop having stores. They're going to stop making food. What's going to eventually happen? You only think about yourself. You, you start teaching him Torah and, and, and you have to be very difficult and you got to pelt him with that till you kill the Ben Mora, but you leave the child to be the child that you want. And this really, if, you have, if we'd have more time, we just scratched the surface. I prepared much more. Every story throughout this Parsha, almost every story throughout this Parsha is telling us the same message. Never give up on opportunities. And therefore, when it talks about First story, we go out to war. We go out to war, a war that's not obligatory. We try to expand. We try to go to areas that are not Eretz Yisrael and make them Eretz Yisrael. Areas that are, don't have any spirituality and we conquer <coughs> Syria and we make it an area of spirituality. Uh, we have a son that the mother, the father doesn't like. So still, you have to make him the Bechor. You have to show him that we haven't given up hope on him. Uh, all these cases... That and even till the end of the Parsha, where the Parsha ends with the war with Amalek, okay, who did Amalek attack? Amalek attacked the people at the, the rear, rear yeah. the weak ones, the ones who didn't have any hope, and the ones who were out of the clouds of glory. And what did the Jews do? Hashem says, well, from now on, we have to destroy Amalek. Until we destroy Amalek, my kingdom isn't whole. Why? Because what's Amalek really say? There are Jews who are losers, those are the ones we can attack. The ones that are out of the clouds of glory. The ones that haven't made it into the yeshiva system, so to speak. Aren't there a lot of nice Jewish boys and girls that just don't seem to make it in any yeshivas? They're not in the clouds of glory. And now they pick up behavior from other. And that's what Amalek goes for. And Hashem says, you know what? I'm going to make a rule that I'm not happy until Amalek gets destroyed. But what do you care? They only took the losers. They didn't take the best yeshiva bachrim. No, no such thing as somebody doesn't have a chance. And if a Amalek says they don't have a chance, that's the greatest destruction of God's throne of glory. And that's the end of the Parsha, that's the beginning of the Parsha, and everything in between are more details of that. We only did about a third of what I wanted, but it's good. We Robert's got that, like a good Jewish mother, prepares more than we got that, that solid, and Amir Tzashem, we should uh, be encouraged that we should be able to be like that. Ben I don't Sharon remember specifically Lord. what the area was, but I had that comment about that.